We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'd love to see you play sometime. Ken Jackson, coach for Allen Football Club. We're looking for a good right winger. Another brilliant performance there tonight, laddie. Even here tonight, huh? Tony Curry wants to give you a trial. Jimmy, it's your trial tomorrow. You want to make it a quiet night? Good point, Steve. Hi, Steve. I've seven large wishes, please. Today on Trouble with the Script, we're talking the 1996 soccer film When Saturday Comes. Uh, I had J.J. Devaney on from ESPN's Caught Offside podcast, and he was the perfect host for a couple reasons. Uh, first and foremost, I'd never seen When Saturday Comes. Honestly, before I uh, messaged J.J. about coming on the podcast, I'd never even heard of When Saturday Comes. Uh, it stars Sean Bean, a.k.a. Ned Stark, and uh, so I, I was a first-time watcher of this film. And uh, I'm also not really a soccer savant. I, I go into detail about that on the podcast. But, you know, I, I understand the general rules, but I'm not really the right person to go in-depth on uh, on soccer. So I needed an expert. And JJ was just that. Um, honestly, this was awesome. This was like an episode where I got to be a listener for a lot of it because he really gave me a crash course on, you know, soccer culture as a whole, life in, you know, northern England, kind of how this entire movie would work. He really took the concept to heart of uh, breaking down, you know, the authenticity of the movie, the realism. We also kind of talk about the lack of big-time soccer films as a, you know, in general. Uh, when you think about classic sports films, you know, especially in America, soccer films don't really come to mind. There wasn't a whole lot to choose from, which is, you know, another reason why I was kind of you know, at a loss of what soccer movie to do first. And so J.J. kind of breaks down the, the state of, of soccer films as a whole. And for that reason, you know, I, I really enjoyed recording this episode. Uh, it was a good one. If you haven't seen When Saturday Comes, honestly, I, I don't know if it's absolutely essential if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, you know, J.J. breaks it down pretty good. Um, but, you know, if you, if you do, I would say that it is on the Internet for free. I'm not going to throw out a link or anything. I don't want to get in trouble for that, but uh, it's out there. So uh, give it a look. Uh, you know, Check out When Saturday Comes if you want to follow along with this episode. This will also be kind of a unique episode in the point that there's fewer clips than we usually drop. Uh, there's not a whole lot YouTube-wise on this movie kind of broken up into clips, which is it's pretty common for, uh, for older movies or you know movies from the 90s. So not a, not a total surprise that there wasn't a lot to plug in. As always... Please remember to subscribe. 
you know, uh, leave a five-star rating really close to hitting 100. I know in terms in the grand podcast scale, that's not a ton, but, you know, uh, hitting triple digits would mean a lot to me. Uh, keep the reviews coming in. I really enjoy, you know, hearing what you guys are thinking about the podcast. And, uh, you know, make sure to follow on, on social media, at TroublePod on Twitter, at Trouble with the Script Pod on Instagram. And, uh, you know, follow along. I've, I've been doing some more interactive tweets lately. You know, got some good responses from, uh, from you guys when I asked who your favorite fictional movie character was. Your fig- actually, fictional sports character in general, because we did get some, uh, some Pablo Sanchez's. The, uh, the backyard baseball legend. But yeah, j- you know, subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. Uh, pass this podcast on to anyone who appreciates authenticity in sports movies. And let's get going with when Saturday comes. Welcome to Trouble with the Script, the sports movie podcast focusing on what worked, what didn't work, and what could have been done to improve the realism and sports authenticity of your favorite sports movies. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Joining me for today's episode, he's the co-host of ESPN's Caught Offside podcast, J.J. Devaney. J.J., how are you doing today? Hey, man, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. No, no, it's uh, it's in honor of Sheffield United being promoted to the Premier League. That's why the film popped in my head, and that's why I thought it might be fun to talk about it. Yeah, we're um, we're going to be talking about uh, the film When Saturday Comes. It's about a, a factory worker who gets scouted, firstly by the well-known non-league side Hallam FC, and then later by Sheffield United, and he must overcome his own self-destructive behavior to fulfill his potential. Uh, Sean Bean, uh, more commonly known now as, as Ned Stark, plays Jimmy, uh, and his character miraculously doesn't die or end up in jail in this movie, uh, unlike most uh, Sean Bean characters. <laughs> so, uh, JJ, before we get started, um, you know, we're talking soccer today. I'm far from a s- soccer savant. So, for listeners who might not be familiar, if you could give me some insight on your podcast and role in covering soccer and, and why I absolutely needed you to cover today's movie. Um, well, you absolutely needed me to cover today's movie because when, when this movie came out, I was 12 and I was absolutely obsessed with soccer. So there was a dearth of soccer movies at the time. So um, I'm, I'm kind of best. I'm in a good position to talk about the film. Um, also, my podcast is on ESPN. Uh, I co-hosted with Andrew Gundling and uh, it's wildly popular. I think that's the term wildly popular. That sounds right. And we cover um, we're, um, we cover the Premier League, cover the Champions League, MLS, uh, basically anything that's interesting that's happening in the football world. Uh, we like to talk about it. Okay, yeah, and um, you know, before we get started in in getting into this movie specifically, um, what's kind of your opinion on the state of of soccer movies? Because when I DM'd you uh, about coming on the podcast. I didn't really have a movie in mind. Sometimes I'll, I'll message someone with a specific movie in mind, and I didn't mostly because when you think about soccer films, at least here in America, there's not really a, a long list of popular ones or ones that are considered in kind of the upper echelon, like ones that you know directly come to mind. Like the first things that came to my mind were stuff like Bennett, like Beckham, or even you know something like She's the Man. As someone who grew up, you you grew up in Ireland. 
Uh, and you know, this movie we're going to talk about, we had talked about before we started recording was, you know, was not made for an American audience. What in your opinion is kind of the, the state of, of soccer movies? Are there, are there not enough? What, what, what do you think? There's not, there's no, I would, I would go as far as to say there's no really good one. Um, I think maybe in the last couple of years, the last 10 years, the damned United is a pretty good film about soccer. Now there are, what there is is a plethora of brilliant soccer documentaries. Uh, there's some excellent work, like from from the two Escobars. Um, there's also there's that film, the name of which escapes my mind, where the two college soccer players from America go around the world playing soccer. Um, there's a lot of good documentary films, but in terms of like movies that you go see in 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 the movie theater or that you'd watch on Netflix, there's not a lot. So like. For example, Goal is probably one of the most famous ones. It's the story of a, a Mexican-American who's dreaming of playing soccer. His father's not terribly supportive. He wants him to stick with the landscaping business. And through his talent, he ends up playing for Newcastle United. And it's, it's a kind of a, a cheesy, fun uh, film about soccer. And that had three um, it had a, a sequel and then it had a third film. So that did quite well. And then there was a slew of films in the 2000s about fan culture, mostly the negative side of fan culture, hooliganism in England and things like that. So so one of the films that made a huge pack, impact in America was Green Street Hooligans that was starring, uh, what's his name? Elijah Wood. I, I regrettably had a Green Street Hooligans poster, I think, in one of my college dorm rooms. Because, yeah, it was just all about, like, drunk guys getting in fights about, about soccer. Yeah, and, I mean, again, that's not very good. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think to go back through the years. There's um, Gary Oldman, interestingly. Gary Oldman, the, the celebrated Hollywood actor, he had a, before he really made it big time, at the end of the 80s, I think 1989, 90, he did a film called The Firm, which, again, was about hooligan violence. And that was actually... I was, I mean, it was decent as far as soccer films go, but there's not many. There really isn't many. Escape to Victory, or Victory as it's known over here, which um, which was pretty decent and starred Michael Caine. That was that was that was good. That was fun, but I don't know. It seemed for a long while when I was growing up that there'd never be a good video game about soccer and there'd never be a good film. Now the video games have come on unbelievably, and there That's are many. There are many brilliant ones. Yeah, yeah, that's been covered. And so we don't have to worry about that. But honestly, is there like, a, do I have a go-to soccer movie, which I absolutely love and want to watch over and over again? Um, the answer will be no. So it's a long-winded way to get to it. But the state of soccer movies in general isn't very good. It's surprising and and really kind of disappointing, but... It just because soccer itself lends itself to a big buildup and a, a climax just because there's a lot of times in, in matches there's so little scoring and a goal is celebrated so much. Uh, more than, you know, it's it's celebrated probably more than scoring in any other sport um, because it's so built up and sometimes there's such a long time between scores and it can be so dramatic. And, you know, you've got, um, you've got penalty kicks, which is about as dramatic a... Uh, 
you know, a, a sudden death thing as you can get in sports. I think though, like the the concept, it's it's not so much the concept of a soccer movie that's bad that soccer can't be put on the big screen. It's it's I guess that the stories on the the angles and the narratives once they get to to the table of. Um, you know, of, of a Hollywood director or someone, it's always somebody who's outside the game. It's always, it's always somebody who doesn't really know the game and what it ends up becoming their vision of what soccer is and, and not what it actually is. And also just in terms of in play, um, like how the game feels like when you watch it, do you, do you believe that this could be a, a soccer game? And, it's almost with every single film, including goal, it just doesn't look right. Well, that's exactly, you know, what we, you know, what this podcast is all about is if, you know, is celebrating sports movies that look right and, you know, feel super authentic and then kind of talking about the ones that don't and why that happened. So, you know, let's let's go into uh, when Saturday comes and right off the bat, I, tell me, is this a uh, is this a Hall of Fame sports movie, an All Star sports movie, a starter or a bench warmer for you? I, you know what? I think it's a starter because you know it's a solid effort in, in many respects, and in other respects, it, it it falls disappointingly low. I do feel that it was first of all the director is is an American, and and that's 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 not to be disrespectful to to the American soccer fan, but um, it's someone who hasn't grown up with the game and it feels as if this is an outsider's view of what soccer culture and growing up in the north of England feels like. Um, so it's, look, it's, it's a decent, it's a starter. In fact, I would go as far as to say I'm more likely to rewatch this, this one than any of the others. So I'll give it, I, I'm presuming on your, on your grading scale, Kyle, that starter is, is decent. It's middle of the Yeah, road. yeah, decent. Um, and, I, and I'd say the same thing. That's how, and, and admittedly, you know, I did my first watch of this movie after you, you know, after you picked it. Uh, I actually did my first watch of this movie a couple hours ago, so it's pretty fresh. I would say starter. It had, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't terrible. I only started the scale uh, two episodes ago, and but of the, um, you know, the fourteen episodes I've done now, or thirteen or fourteen, something like that, uh, I would only give bench warmer to to one movie so far. Um, this one was a starter. It's something that you know, if it was on TV, it's not going to be on American television. But if it was, you know, I would turn it on. It has some rewatchable aspects. Yeah, and it's worth noting that there, like, there are some really good actors in it. Sean Bean is a good actor, and Pete Postlethwaite, who was sadly departed, was a doyen of the British film uh, industry and had some amazing roles in some really good Hollywood films. So you mm-hmm. know he's he's a very good actor too. I'm not sure the role that he was given as manager of Hallam FC was perfect for him. I'm not sure they gave him enough good lines. He kind of moved from proud to irked very, very quickly. Yeah. 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 There was no, there was no middle ground and he wasn't a big guy on second chances and had to be coaxed into a second chance in in an almost corny fashion. But, um, you know, there's Sean Bean, at that point in his career, this is 1996, so that's a good, what, seven, eight years after he filmed The Field with Richard Harris, which was an acclaimed, critically acclaimed movie. So Sean Bean is an actor of some standing at this point, and Pete Postlethwaite is, is like I said, he's, he's one of the, of the big hitters in British film. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and he made some. Um, you know, he was in some. He, I think, one of his last movies was The Town, which is ec- uh, like the the town is the town is kind of uh, the town is underrated. I think the town is. I love is, the town. Yeah, I think the town is better than people give it credit for, and it doesn't get talked about an awful lot. But I will an absolutely compelling character in it is is the florist played by by Pete Postlethwaite. He is a um, some kind of an Irish. American gangster, uh, his accent is is on point, and he seems vicious, and he plays it very well. So this is a guy of um, look. I know he's done brilliant work, including um, in the name of the Father, where he played Giuseppe Conlon, and and like that, he he was absolutely magnificent in that. So this is a very good actor, but definitely underused in When Saturday Comes. I th- I was really excited to see him though, because he was one of the only other actors that that I recognized. Real quick before we get into it. Uh, I'm doing a the, the realism scale. I'm calling this from Bush League to Big League. I got that from a listener whose name I don't have in front of me. I will shout you out on next week's episode, I promise. Uh, but rank the uh, the film's sports action and, and plot points on a realism scale from 1 to 10, 1 being Bush League, 10 being Big League. Oh, because you're asking me to combine the sports action and the plot points. I would go as far as, I, you know, I'll, be, I'll give it a generous 5 right in the middle. Because okay. there, there are certain elements to the film where, where you're just like, this is, this is kind of ridiculous. And, 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 and let me deal with one of, the, one of them um, while we're talking about that. Yeah, go right into it. So, Sean Bean. <laughs> at, look, 37 is not old, right? On, on, on your life scale, 37 is not old. It's, you're, you're still a young man. And, and I'm not saying Sean Bean looks particularly old in this. But 37 is too old for a professional footballer even to make the meteoric rise that he made this fairy tale rise now we are it's never suggested to us in the film that Sean Bean is 37 but he, he looks as, it. but as an actual man in real life when he did this film he was 37 and once you become aware of that you notice certain things about like you know the his face you also if you've seen uh if you've seen like the aforementioned the field where he plays a younger man that's seven years seven years beforehand you realize that that kind of eats away at you now in in soccer terms have we had stories in the past you know decade of players who have taken a circuitous route to top flight football yeah we've had ricky lambert um who for a while uh, he ended up at his hometown Liverpool team in his in his in his early thirties, but he had always been a pro along the line. But at one point, he had to. He was playing semi-professional level, as our character does here in When Saturday Comes, um, Jimmy Muir, and he, uh, Ricky Lambert, worked part time in a beet factory, uh, processing beetroot. So you know that happens. There's also the tale of Jamie Vardy, who was in the lower leagues and worked his way up. But I mean, Jamie Vardy when he finally made it big or when he really made it big in the Premier League was still very much solidly in his mid-20s. So when, you're, when you've got the knowledge that Sean Bean is, is in real life 37 and also when you see him, even, even when you see the close-ups of his face, he, he looks dramatically older than his girlfriend played by Emily Lloyd. He looks older than his brother too. The guy who's supposed to be his brother who passes away in the movie and they say at age 24. 
and he looks dramatically older than him. And early in the movie, you see them as kids, and they're very close in age. Right, exactly. And that is jarring then to see it. Now, I am pretty sure that um, the the director um, and the producers were not football people, and they did this casting by numbers. So... Sean Bean is a massive Sheffield United fan. He knows the region. He knows the city very well. And actually, in 2004, I believe, he was part of a group that came in with money to help save the club when it was in financial difficulty. So I kind of get the feeling that it was almost, you know, casting by numbers. Sean Bean, you know, an athletic-looking dude, uh, Sheffield United, absolute Sheffield United fanatic. Let's give him the role. And also, you got to sell the movie as well. So you got to put a star in the in the lead role. And I think that's how we got to Sean Bean because I do find it a little bit. Uh, he's he does look mid to late thirties, and 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 that makes it less realistic in terms of his uh, career progression. I had that as my least realistic thing too. So d- despite not knowing much about soccer, I'm glad that that stuck out to you as well. Uh, I, that that makes me feel good. What was your most authentic? What Was there anything in this movie? You mentioned kind of that there have been stories about guys going from semi-pro to... If you could kind of, real quick, unless this is your most authentic, explain kind of Jimmy's rise, because it looks like he's playing for, for his, like, the pub team, uh, and then he and then he gets he gets picked up. How is it? Is pub team, like, is it like men's league softball here? Or how does that work? Is that a realistic how he went? Pub team is a... I suppose for the mid '90s, when this was filmed, 1995, 1996 direction, that that although it was becoming less and less, that was still a route. So, for example, Arsenal's record goal scorer prior to Thierry Henry, Ian Wright, he came up through a, a certain route. So, basically, pub league is 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 men's league. It's Sunday league, so it's amateur. They call it pub league because, well, a lot of the teams are sponsored by bars, and that is where people go afterwards. Um, a lot of the teams were assembled or initially were assembled around guys who would drink together in the same bars. A pub league is a kind of a disparaging term, but it's really Sunday league, amateur league. And then the step above that would be the regional leagues, which are a lot of them are semi-professional. And, um, you know, that kind of that progression is not unrealistic. Like I said, I'm trying to think of guys now who made that progression. Now, that progression was much more common in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s and the 90s. But as the game became... Um, as money flooded into the Premier League and players came in from abroad and more academy players started flooding into the league, it was less likely that you would you would make this kind of progression from your local amateur side right the way to the top. But, for example, um, a player that's still playing for Manchester United, who is a veteran now, Chris Smalling, he was at, I, think, I believe, Maidstone United, which was an amateur league team that uh, a friend of mine used to play for and so he he got spotted there and he ended up at Fulham and then he ended up at Manchester United Uh, Ian Wright he was quite a late bloomer he was playing local league uh, again like Sunday league football he got picked up and um, and ended up at Crystal Palace and his career blossomed from there so that was an established path in the past it's not crazy to think it would have still been a path in 1996 that wasn't unrealistic um, that was that was fairly realistic. Now, what was strange about it was 
that again, when I talk about this was a, a cabal of, of, of producers and directors who are not football people and the director is an American and I don't really know her background in the game, but you see little things where they're imagining what the north of England is like and what football culture in the north is like. Did you notice, Kyle, how the fields were constantly mud baths? I have that in my notes. Uh, it was a, kind of a question. Uh, how, how every uh, every game they play, every game they show him playing for them, he is covered in mud. It's like raining and muddy, and it looks like a scene from Braveheart. So um, we only see him play for Hallam United twice, or Hallam. I think FC, yeah, but... I think there's two matches. He plays. Uh, I think he plays for his. We see uh, one or two of his his like men's league, his pub team. One or two Hallam, and then you see him riding the bench for Sheffield a couple times, and then um, the final match. I mean, majority of this film soccer. I would say fifty percent of the soccer is in the final match, basically the final scene of the movie. Well, yeah, and, and, and the, what they seemed to do was they seemed to film at, a, at an actual Sheffield United game and they took the crowd shots and everything, which was pretty good. Yeah, I like that. I did like that element too. The only problem was that Pete Postlethwaite and Emily Lloyd appeared to be at a daytime game. So when you saw the dark of the stands, the floodlit of the stands versus when the camera panned to them, they seemed to be backlit almost like it was a day game, which... Uh, that that's a that's a tricky one, and 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 it's one that um, it's one that uh, producers and directors still run into to this very day. Sunderland till I die uh, did a lot of football montages for its games, and at one point they took the action from the game that they were referring to, but the sideline shots of the manager from another game. And, you know, the seasoned football fan who knows the difference between grounds, who can tell you the difference between the you know, what a day game and a night game looks like, or even an evening game and an afternoon game. Um, they, they could pick that out straight away. So that, that's a problem that still happens. It was something that annoyed me a little bit. I don't know if you noticed it, but like when it, when it panned to, to Keith, the, uh, the manager of Hallam, played by Pete Postlethwaite, in the stand for that final game, it was hugely, uh, the, the lighting difference seemed massive. And that was irritating to me. But back to the fields. If you notice on, on the goal, here's what was realistic. The goal he scored for Hallam, where he slides it in at the near post in the in the in the rain, that was awesome. That looked really good. I think that was his first game for Hallam. Mm-hmm. And then in his second game, he scores a goal while the Sheffield United scouts are there. And that was I'm not saying that didn't look realistic, that the ground and everything looked realistic, but the, the field was so sodden, it had so much water on it that you see one of the uh, the extras slide into the post. He falls on the ground and just the <laughs> he almost surfs along this mud into the post. It was an ob- it was an obscene amount of mud on the on the pitch. It was, and they've clearly gone big on the mud. And again, that's why I say this is the vision of football culture uh, from people who probably never have been to a game. That is far too much. You don't. You can still do a realistic. Sunday League and semi-pro view of the game without dousing the field in gallons of water. See, that's one of the things that, that irks me about sports movies, and that's why I needed someone who, who knew soccer for this one, because it astounds me over and over again when movies seem like they did not bring on someone with legitimate experience in the sport. or It astounds me, because I feel like that's a small fix. 
That's a, that's you just need one person who's familiar with soccer in Northern England who says, "Hey, this this isn't how the field's supposed to be. Let's go somewhere dry," and and boom, it's fixed. It's not it's not crazy. It's not a, it's not a mud pit. I'd like to think that Danny Boyle, if he had been directing this, would have would have gone much softer on things like that. It's also there's a there's a phrase from England. It's grim up north, and uh, that's usually said by Southerners. There's there's an idea of. Um, of a north-south divide in England, which in many cases, socioeconomically, is true. There's a you'll notice in the film when um, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the real moments where it plays to this theme of the of the north-south divide is where he is sat with um, with Emily Lloyd with his girlfriend at dinner, and she says to him, um, she goes, uh, "Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to London to, to go to college. I'm going to go to London," and he goes, "London." You know, like as if, why would you go to London? As if working class people in the North are, you know, they don't have aspirations to go to London either. And then she goes, I'm going to go to college. College? Oh, there'll be a lot of poses down there. You know, like this idea of of, of London being this strange, quaint place and the simple people of the North of England don't want to, you know, even countenance going down there. Like, why would you go down there? There's nothing there for you. So in actual fact, it, re- it reinforces a lot of the, um, a lot of the themes of English soap operas like, uh, like Coronation Street, uh, Emmerdale Farm, where anybody who goes away, they never do well, or they do well and they come back, but it's a chastening experience for them, you know? So there was a kind of a, there's a, there's something of a class struggle going on in this film. Um, the, the portrayals of working class northern people are so outlandish. It doesn't portray them in a very good light. No, a lot for ex- of them. Well, well. Now this is this is a good twenty two years or twenty years. We'll we'll be generous. Uh, prior to to the to the Me Too movement and and prior to kind of um, a a more how shall I put it. A more fair and balanced look at, uh, at 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 gender and things like that. So, for example, you, you, I mean, one of the openings, the opening scenes in the brewery. There's a guy looking at page three of the Sun, which was always the topless page in the Sun tabloid newspaper, and the guys are all leering. And I don't know how many times in the opening twenty minutes somebody says, "Oh, I give her one." You know, it was quite. Um, oh, yeah. It was quite misogynistic, yeah. and it, it portrayed northern northern people, um, people from Yorkshire, as uh, being you know massively disrespectful. And then they're in the bar, and, and Jimmy, Jimmy, who seems like at points quite a sensitive character, um, you know, he 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 feels he has to say, "Oh, I've I've shagged both of them," as the two girls walk by, and there's a lot of you know, get the round. How many times do they say, "Get the round in"? And they, they drink, I mean, they order up a huge amount of whiskey for people who are supposed to be on these low wages. So there's kind of, there's, there's problematic reinforcing of, of stereotypes of working class people in this film, which lends me to believe that it was very much a London-driven uh, project. And, and also as well, we've got to remember, this is seven years, yeah, six years after the Taylor Report. So films about football in the 1980s were usually documentaries talking about how bad the hooligan crisis had got or hooligan films like The Firm, like I mentioned before. But the Premier League had started and so money had flooded in to English football. And all of a sudden, 
middle class and upper class people were taking an interest in a game that was almost exclusively for the working classes and was looked down upon. So is it any wonder that if you ask people who are of middle class, upper class, uh, cinematic background to do a film about northern culture and northern football and and the working class game is it any any shock really that they have these entrenched stereotypes of what the male characters would be well they really wanted to hammer home they i mean they hammered home the point that these guys that all they want to do is work their manual labor jobs and chase tail and get drunk and they they kind of hammered that home about about jimmy sean bean's character the whole time you know don't turn out like your dad you know, don't watch the liquor, watch the liquor, you know, it's going to get the best of you. And then, you know, let real quick, I want to go into his, he has like the worst week ever, his character, they just like flip it, they turn him into I just kind of like the worst version of this stereotype ever. So he finds out his girlfriend is pregnant, which is like not a bad thing, but it's just bad how he reacts It is right. bad to him. Then he gets fired. He punches his boss. He gets fired. He goes out. He gets just loaded, and he cheats on his pregnant girlfriend the the night after. Uh, then he shows up to his trial with Sheffield, and he blows it because he's massively hungover. Then later that night, he gets caught cheating. He she she catches him right away, so he he's screwed there. Then he gets in a fight with his dad, and then his brother dies, and then he last minute aborts a suicide attempt. He had like they they're like okay let's let's hammer home what's the worst thing that could happen to this stereotype could happen to this dude and they just hammer it home in one week. Yeah, there there was no sense of pacing with that. That was all no. j- jammed together. I mean, spread the misery out a little bit. And also, I, I don't know if if um, I don't know if if you felt the same way, but for for far too long in that movie, I was like, why is his dad such a prick? You know, why is his dad such an asshole? Because mm-hmm. uh, there's not a ton of scenes of him drinking. There's only a couple of scenes. There's a few, quite a few scenes where it alludes to a gambling problem. But I'm trying to find the source of his father's, you know, resentment towards his son. And he, he comes across as a pathetic character who borrows money off them, but also as this kind of, um, you know, person who delivers these broadsides to them about the fact that their lives are never are not going anywhere and i'm just like i wonder would it have been better to introduce that this guy was resentful because his football career had failed earlier in the film rather than later and then jam all this stuff together and like you know the other side to it is as well we see him in the pub when jimmy finally at the at the denouement of the film um where Jimmy's or the denouement of, of Jimmy's story, where Jimmy's playing against Manchester United, and his father's in the bar, and 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 Jimmy scores, and his father just shows n- no emotion whatsoever. Yeah, the father character was miserable. It just the whole movie was just a miserable character and didn't really didn't really bring much. They they mentioned that he was bitter because of his own football career. But yeah, but not but a lot not of until times about movies, an hour in. Yeah, yeah, not until an hour in. And a lot of times in movies, that's a reason for the guy to be even like harder on the kids. Like, you got to do this because I did. But yeah, they, they don't really, they didn't develop the character properly. It was really frustrating. No, yeah, it, it was. And um, I thought they did a too slow a job developing Jimmy as the self-destructive guy too. 
because they, they there weren't really that they kept like you kept hearing about it hey you got to watch you know you got to watch the drinking because you're you know if you're trying to be a, a soccer player you know but you don't see him ever getting in, in excess or and he's pretty respectful to his girlfriend they don't really show any of these tendencies and then suddenly in one week he you know fights his boss and you know turns into like a frat star you know in, in one week yeah yeah and, and like the other side to it is as well Kyle um with the, with this film uh Jimmy Jimmy is this like enthusiastic kid who really wants to play football and be a professional and he doesn't make England schoolboys and that's laid out for us early but what annoys me is the idea that he the night before his second trial that he would go out now am I saying that no footballers have ever gone out the night before a game, particularly in that era of the game in England. Of course I'm not. Um, and it's just it's just the idea that this is a, a working class guy and he couldn't possibly stay in the night before. Like, you know, like this was his dream as a kid and yet he couldn't stay in the night before. It, it's not... I'm just not buying it. I'm I'm not buying it. I'm- it's the only time you see him go all They don't lead up to that. It's the only time you see him go all out and get absolutely smashed in the movie. If he would if they would have built him up as he's he's really struggling with alcoholism or something. He's really, you know, he guy goes out all the time, but it's like the only time I think you even see him get over the legal limit and he just goes crazy before the biggest, you know, before the biggest moment of his life. So, you know, they didn't, yeah, they, they didn't build up his internal, you know, his struggles with his own beh- behavior. They didn't build that up well. You, d- it, you didn't really buy that when it, it came time to, okay, he's going to get smashed before his, uh, you know, his, his second, you know, trial with, uh, you know, with Sheffield. Um, real quick, was there anything else that worked for you? And, and can Sean Bean play? You you watch him, did, you know, you said he did some good things. The first goal looks good. He's really the only guy that they give a lot of camera time to. Um, a lot of it is just quick cuts and, and random stuff. And he's the only one who you see really handling a soccer ball much. Does he look like he's done it before? Does he, you know, does he look like he could be a, a 90 soccer player? Um, so, so like I said, there was the first goal that we see him score in the amateur league. By the way, there's no nets. It's as if they have that little pride that they wouldn't put nets on the goals. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I, it's maybe, maybe, but honestly, I, I feel as if there, there'd be nets on the goals as well. You don't have to, you don't have to downplay the level he was, he was playing at so much. You've already got a goalkeeper who inexplicably lets a goal in because he's combing his hair. Like, yeah, that, he's like that, not paying attention. Hey, listen, there's bad goalkeepers at that level. There's bad players at that level, but just not paying attention like that was, was laying it on too thick. Um, so, so can he play? Um, so at times in isolation, like that, that goal where he, he slams it in at the near post for Hallam, that looked fine. But when you isolated him, certainly the, one of the training drills where Pete Postlethwaite has him on his toes and he's heading it back or he's chesting it and playing it back. He just like, there's no way. He just looked like a regular dude doing it. I thought he looked real stiff. I thought I could have done that. Yeah, he did look stiff. He didn't look like... not. Yeah, there's certain ways that, that players move when they're good. There's just... You look at them and you can tell straight away that they're at a, they have a basic level. And, and he didn't look like he had it. The dribbling in and out of the cones... All right, okay. You need a montage. It's a classic. Again... 
easy to know it was an American director. Have we seen an underdog sports movie that doesn't have a montage? No, we have not. You have to have a montage. And um, some of the things he was doing in the montage, like there was a lot of running, which made me think that we want this guy running because the football just doesn't look realistic. But the in, in the in the cones montage where he's dribbling in the ball, the soccer ball in and out of the cones, the guy who lets that scene down is Pete Postlethwaite, who is way, way, for a hardened, grizzled old, seen it all before football man, he is way too enthusiastic about, <laughs> about, like you can see him, he's almost skipping forward as if, yes, he can dribble in and out of cones, this boy's got a chance. You know, like that's, that was way, way, way uh, over the top. By the way, before we go any further and before I forget to mention it um, I'm not sure what part of England Emily Lloyd is from I'm going to guess she was maybe classically trained in London maybe she went to the Royal Shakespeare Academy I don't know but to give her an Irish accent I was going to ask about that (laughs) it is fucking awful I have seen like in terms of atrocities towards Irish actors, it's hard to touch Hollywood. It's hard to touch Tom Cruise in Far and Away. It's, uh, it's hard to touch or even get close to the, the sheer awfulness of Brad Pitt in The Devil's Own. But this is a new law. Emily Lloyd is shocking. That accent is, every time she opens her mouth, I get the chills. I, I am absolutely... I want to swallow my own head. It's so bad. So like, what? and she's English. Why would they not just give her a Sheffield or Yorkshire or, or, or a, just a basic English accent and say she's moved in or she's come up from the South? To do that to her was wild. Absolutely wild. And the scene after their first date where she's just saying random Irish, uh, random Irish words in, in Gaelic is just awful, awful. Uh, you were right. She took lessons at the Italia Conti School in London, per uh, per Wikipedia. I'm sure I mispronounced one of those words, but yeah, that yeah that I didn't. I'm surprised that they made that they made that decision then to give her an uh, an Irish accent. Why don't we let's just let's go into what else didn't work? Uh, what else didn't work for you in this movie? What what wasn't on the level? What wasn't realistic? And. Really what stood out for me was the trial scene, uh, the, the first trial scene where, you know, he's dribbling with the, with the ball and nobody's getting close to him. It's like one-on-one. I had this down. I'm, I'm so glad that this is what you said. It's like one-on-one and he's just, it's, it's like they just put that one guy on him and they just kind of let him go where no one else comes to get him. I've watched enough soccer to know that that's just not a thing. No, and, and he's also moving rather slow and awkwardly. <laughs> and there, it pans back to the bench twice or, or, or to the, the, the scouts twice or three times. And you're like, oh, my God, is he still on the ball? And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it, it just wasn't realistic. Interestingly, um, so, again, they're, they're trying to be authentic in an inauthentic way. So they give Sean Bean... Uh, who is a Sheffield United fan, they give him the the lead role. They also get in an actual bona fide, probably Sheffield United's greatest ever player, Tony Curry. So Tony Curry features in the film as some kind of scout or, or, or managing director. And Tony Curry is there in the film 
and plays himself, but hardly has any lines whatsoever. He's quite a, a mute character in it. And I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, but if you don't let Tony Curry talk, or don't give him a line where he, where he, you know, where he talks about, oh, playing for Sheffield United, how much that means, you know, something like that. I mean, he's just a dude if you don't do that. And, um, and, and so I, I felt that didn't work. Um, oh, again, another nod, nod to, to trying to be authentic. A bona fide Division One player, a guy who has one cap for England and played for Leeds United and Sheffield Wednesday, the other team in Sheffield, Mel Sterland is in this film. Mel Sterland, who was still a footballer at the time, is in this film. And he is the only other professional footballer of the extras. And his role is bizarre. So when... Sean Bean comes on the film, or sorry, comes on the field in the final game against Manchester United. The big build-up to his glorious moment where he gets to play for Sheffield United. Mel Sterling is on, and Mel Sterling plays the character that goes, "You shouldn't be on this field. You're not." Okay, good so he's that guy. Okay, I had a quite, I had a question about him. Why? Because he's what, suddenly what's he's the, doing what's that. The... He, he goes. Go ahead. I mean, yeah. He. What's the point of him doing that? And then he loves him after he scores that goal. Well, the point being is footballers will barrage and, and instruct and bark orders at each other in the game. But <laughs> if, he, if a guy's your teammate coming off the bench, he's highly unlikely to tell you after your first tackle where you crunch into a Manchester United player, what he's most likely to say is, calm down, son, calm down, son. You're going to get sent off. Relax, relax. You know, get your, you know, kind of get your feel into the game. Feel your way into the game. Relax. He's not likely to come over and, and just like destroy his character in front of him. You know, it was just, it was bizarre. And it was such a misuse of an actual pro. I cannot believe they had an actual pro on set who would just go along with that. And he, and he goes from that and from, um, I, I think he, he took the throw in from him. Ball went out of bounds. Uh, Jimmy was going to throw it in. And he's like, you know, he, he's like a big dick about it. And he's like, I'm throwing this in or whatever. Uh, Jimmy scores a goal, and then, you know, 20 minutes later, this guy is his best friend. Like, Jimmy gets knocked to the ground uh, for yeah. that penalty, and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, he, he's all about Jimmy, and he ha- they have Jimmy take the PK, and it's, uh, yeah, that whole that whole thing was bizarre. Yeah, and, and, he, and here's what doesn't work as well, um, Kyle. They spend so much time reinforcing the misery of northern life that they crammed in two games. Uh, sorry. Okay, they gave United its due. They gave the United game where it's his, like his coming out party where he scores the goals and scores the winner from a penalty spot. They gave that its due. But there's two other games against Arsenal, like fucking Arsenal, a huge team, and Leeds United where he's on the bench. Now, that is... He's miserable on the bench. Will my chance ever come? What are you talking about? You literally turned up drunk to training, to your second trial. You had to beg to get a second chance. Your second chance has come through. You're about to live your dreams. You're on the bench. That's where you're going to be. You know, the idea that he is inordinately upset about his bench appearances. Like, do you think you'll get to play? I doubt it. My response would be, I'm on the bench for Sheffield United in the Premier League. All my dreams have come through. Despite this 
awful mess I've made of everything. I'm here. You know what I mean? In less than seven months, because think about it. So his his girlfriend, Annie, is pregnant, and she's not super pregnant by the end of the movie, and she definitely hasn't had the baby. So less than less than nine months ago, he was playing for a team sponsored by a pub, and now he's sitting on the bench for Sheffield United. One thing about that is do you do you remember the scene where he's listening to the radio and the radio announcer's like, oh, you know, are they gonna use new guy Jimmy? Or whatever. Like, why the fuck would the radio guy be talking about the guy they just pulled from the pub team? Like, they 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 wouldn't be like, oh, is he gonna use this guy? Like, he, you know, why isn't he using this guy? But the the idea that he'd need the radio to know doesn't seem wholly realistic. Now you'll hear stories about, oh, um, you know, players who have become kind of frozen out at their clubs and they're driving down the road and they hear that a fee has agree- been agreed for them on the uh, on the radio and they don't even know they're being transferred. Like, shit like that does go down. Like, football can be a cold business. But the idea that he would be um, announced on the bench and he wouldn't know already. Like, why is he listening to the radio? He'd know he's on the bench. The manager would have pinned the team sheet up on the board and he'd know he's on the bench. And, like, why would he expect to be starting? Like, he's literally been given this golden opportunity come up from non-league football out of nowhere they needed for the football fan for the football nerd like me what they needed to do was really show him in training for Sheffield United show the interaction with Mel Sterling's character show me why they don't get on show me why you know he's so aggressive towards him in the game against Manchester United like like I would have loved to have seen like a how would I put it a an absolutely overjoyed Jimmy in his first training session for Sheffield United. You know, like, show me that. Show him actually feeling like he's living his dream instead of pissed. Like, it'd be like if I was on a Major League Baseball bench, I'd look like a kid in a candy store. Like, I I, I wouldn't be able to believe that this was real. And Jimmy's just like, ah, oh, man, this fucking blows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and, and his... His girlfriend even even saying to him, "Oh, do you think you'll 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 get playing or whatever?" Like maybe that question might be asked, but he would just be so overjoyed. By the way, he'd be the king of the absolute castle. All his friends are in the bar watching the game. They would be rooting for him because he's one of their own. They would be so pumped to be able to say, "Oh my God, that's our Jimmy on field there." You know, like it it just. Yeah, I thought the pub would have been so much rowdier. And then because of all this, his first goal, when he scores that goal, it's really understated in the movie. They didn't even film it in a super dramatic way. There was no big music. There was no even slow-mo. Like, it was it was really understated. Like, it didn't get me going at all. I was thinking that his first goal would be um, something. We'll get into what, what the big chill is here in a minute. But I thought that would be what, like, kind of gets me going. And I was just like, oh, well, look at look at him. He scored. Like they didn't even they didn't make it seem like as big a thing as they should. This life altered like scoring a goal in Premier League, like you know, a handful of humans who have played soccer ever have have done that, and it's it's crazy. His hometown team, in front of his own fans, against the biggest club in England at the time. It would have been I would have gone nuts. The shirt would have come off. Like like you've got to give more than that. You know, it's just. Yeah, it's they. I feel like they gave the pacing of it was wrong, and they gave so much emotion 
to the to the attempted suicide scene, to the burial of his brother, to all those things in that in that awful week that they had nothing left then for the for actually what the whole film is supposed to be building toward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have and they could have made the beginning a lot. They could have sped through the beginning and then given us more Sheffield. I think that's I guess that's how you kind of improve the movie. I've got one more thing that didn't work kind of from a sports centric position. Like I, I didn't play I haven't played soccer. But I, I've spent a lot of time in in, in locker rooms. I, I did play sports, and after I think his first game with Hallam, maybe his second game with Hallam, he scores a couple of goals, and they're all celebrating the locker room. That is a bunch of naked dudes all touching each other in a very small tub. I've been in some locker rooms. I've never seen that much comfort in in touching naked dudes. It was it was very uncomfortable. So there was like ten dudes sandwiched in a very tiny tub. I, I just don't see that happening. I'd like to tell you that that's not uh, representative, uh, but that 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 scene that didn't scene didn't bother me at all. The big bath is um, again again that was a, a classic. If you look back at old pictures of the FA Cup final of uh, you know 1950s, and they used to allow cameraman cameramen in the dressing rooms and they take pictures, and you see these enormous baths, um, and you'd see players in there drinking cans and smoking woodbine cigarettes. And, and um, look, lo- locker rooms are like that. Um, uh, they, there's horseplay. There's guys jumping around. I've been in enough myself. It's uh, uh, that, that, that scene didn't bother me as much. Yeah, I've definitely, I mean, I've been, you know, I've seen the shower horse play and everything. I mean, I've been in locker rooms, but uh, yeah, that seemed like very close quarters to me. But it, I mean, if that was authentic, then, you know, chalk up a uh, an authentic point to this movie. Then good for them. I was all I was all right with that one. I was pretty okay with that. So, um, was there a big chill in this movie for you? A moment that that gave you the chills? I mean, you already said the accent gave you the stupid chills. So oh. that, that might be it. Was there? Did anything in this movie really make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? Yeah, there's a few moments where um, where I feel like the you know they're. The work, the work, like uh, the uh, the alleged working class banter. You know, there was moments like that where I'm like, ah, oh, that's that's just I can't. You know, I I really like the idea that they just go around in this kind of like heightened state of like either you know either drinking, either drunk or horny is was just I don't know. It was. It was so kind of narrow and didn't really build like none of the characters really got, got kind of expanded. We didn't really learn very much about them. I think uh, the, the team talk that Pete Postlethwaite gives before Hallam's first game, that was, yeah, that gave me a little chill. I, I, more than a little chill. And I like Pete Postlethwaite, but the lines were just so generic, you know, these buggers think they've got League One. They've got the League One, but we'll show them. Ah, right, boys. And a clap. Like, if anything, if you want to convince me this is this is authentic, this is a football film that, you know, at least represents what 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 you know amateur to, to Sunday League football is like, there is no manager that gives a speech that short and that vague. If anything, it's absolutely the opposite. They say way too much. They try to quote from films that they've seen. They try to be overly inspirational. 
They tried to talk the big talk. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, usually, uh, it's usually funny. There's, there's actually entertainment. If, if they'd really wanted to look for it, they could have, they could have put real entertainment into, that, uh, into those little things, those, those little uh, identifiers of, of football culture. And, you know, the overbearing, overeager, lots to say manager to to leave him with just such a kind of a generic thing was uh yeah i was disappointing it gave me a chill it, it, i was like yeah yeah they they don't know what they're doing here yeah the manager at sheffield gives a really short halftime speech as well so they, there's really nothing so yeah i think oh, there, yeah, there's one more <laughs> there's one more thing <laughs> we're the sheffield united manager and i can't remember the actor's name so i'm sorry guys you'll have to look it up but he's been in lots in terms of um, English dramas and TV dramas, <laughs> at one point we get we get I think it's in the Man United game we get the we get the hint that Sean Bean's character Jimmy is about to enter the fray, and I can't remember is it David is the David is the player on the field and he, he there's a piece of action and you hear crowd noise going ooh. <laughs> and the Sheffield United manager turns to his assistant and goes, "Ooh, David's not playing well." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After he gets like, like cracked on the leg, I, I can't even remember what the point was, but I've just just the the very sentence. Uh, like I don't think managers do that. You know, they usually they'll talk in manager speak, or they won't say anything at all. It's so it's so fucking obvious. Like to, when a player when it's not happening for a player, you know. The people around you are football people. They'll know the idea that you have to turn around and go, oh, it's, it's not going well for David today. Like, <laughs> um, that, that gave me a chill. That actually made me laugh. Yeah, they didn't. Um, I think if they were going to, if there was going to be any moment in this movie that set up like the good chills, you know, where like, you, you know, it's an inspiring sports movie. It would have been the, the the PK at the end when he makes the uh, basically it's a walk off make, makes the uh, you know scores that last penalty kick and they win the game, but I don't think they built it up enough for me to where I didn't I didn't really get the chills when that when that came I didn't get that you know that inspirational kind of thing that a lot of sports movies give you so th- this one didn't have that no uh, no and also there's nothing on the there's nothing on the line they needed to make it maybe like uh, Jimmy Moore saves Sheffield United from relegation. Or, you know, Jimmy Muir sends Sheffield United into the next round of the cup with a penalty and on his debut for the club, something like that. But also as well, just from a, uh, a visual point of view, the penalty which they give the slow-mo treatment to, when he strikes it and the goalkeeper dives, it's actually much closer to the goalkeeper. And then it gives the behind-the-goal angle and it's right in the top corner. Yeah, to where he would have never, never been able to touch it. Yeah, they they didn't put anything on the line between um, you know Jimmy. There, it, it didn't feel like it meant a lot to him. It they didn't like you said they didn't set it up to where it meant a lot for Sheffield. Um, he was fine with his girlfriend, so there was nothing like riding on that. It just it was just like oh good for him, but it, it didn't give me the chills. It didn't give me that you know this was the moment I'll take from this movie, which was kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah, and also. Again, not to not to harp on about the you know the dead brother. I would have liked to see more in their relationship rather than that one speech he gave him to believe in himself. You know, um, we see them. He's Jimmy's not playing well. He's giving the ball away. 
uh, Mel Sterling, who was, if guys want to read up on Mel Sterling, he was quite the character himself. He had a, he had quite the life off the field himself involving booze and, and other activities, but I'll leave that to your listeners to, to look up Mel Sterling. But like, you know, we got Mel Sterling being un, unnecessarily aggressive. Then all of a sudden he sees his dead brother take his seat at Bramall Lane and then just like a light switch, he's, he's playing brilliantly. So yeah, that gave me yeah. a chill too. Uh, Mel Sterling's autobiography is called Boozing, Betting and Brawling. So I, that's, I think that's enough of an indication of, of just the life of Mel Sterling. Yeah, it's, um, there's something else uh, about Mel Sterling, and I'm going to let people look it up. I don't want to say what it is because I, I may be mixing him up with another football, but, footballer, but it's a, he's had a very colorful life off the field, put it that way. So he seems pretty underutilized in this movie. How would you improve it? Are there any quick fixes? Is there anything that you, you know, something that you, you think would make a huge, you know, change in the movie besides just bringing on, you know, someone like yourself, bring on you to be the, uh, the soccer consultant for the movie? Um, well, like uh, the road I would have gone down with, which is, again, this is why I'm not in Hollywood and uh, it's not the only reason, but like, it's why I don't think like, like, like people like that there are like thousands of footballers every year who are, who are really good, who don't make the, the, the highest level in the game and, and have to leave the game, but are still brilliant footballers and they end up in the amateur game or they give up altogether. Why not give the title role to one of those footballers and get a load of ex football or uh, footballers who didn't make it or amateur footballers who can play and put them on the field and and kind of you know give it that kind of sense of realism also just you know we get it we get it mid 90s sheffield doesn't seem like a great place to live but you know <laughs> you know reduce some of like you know have it directed by someone who is from the north so have it directed by someone who understands football culture and who doesn't look at it is in, in in this kind of uh, uh new labor manner doesn't make it so depressing yeah it's important to, if you think about the, um, again, like I, I told you, the, the Taylor report had, had been released six years before, which changed English football. That was the uh, report, uh, investigation into the, into the, um, the debts at, at Hillsborough Stadium. And so stadiums were upgraded. Um, and the landscape of English football changed then with the Sky TV sports deal. So more money came in. So that attracted a different class of people to watch the game. Um, and, and, and obviously you can see their fingerprints all over this. I would have got, um, who would have made a better film? I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, I think the director and again, his, I'm sorry, his name escapes me, but the director of this is England. Uh, he, I think he would have done a better job of that. Um, just get someone who, who understands working class culture and understands football and let them at it, let them do it and use ex footballers. Uh, we don't need Sean being at 37. Yeah, that's one of the things that, especially with this podcast, I'm a huge proponent of. I would rather watch athletes who've played the sport and who have been there. I would rather have good athletes who you teach how to act as opposed to actors who you're trying to teach how to play sports or be athletic because one of those is very God-given and is just something that you know a good athlete when you see one. Um, the other one it can be learned. 
so I, you know, I think movies that that go find um, athletes first. We did the the podcast two weeks ago. We did the movie Miracle about the 1980 Miracle on Ice with the U.S. hockey team. For that entire team, they they basically they picked hockey players first. They picked guys who could skate and guys who talk like hockey players, who acted like hockey players, and it brings that kind of. I think guys who have been around the sport, people who have been around the sport, bring that feel with them in the movie. You can see that. You can see themselves, you know, conduct themselves like players. There's a a, a movie, a, a smaller baseball movie called Everybody Wants Some about college baseball players, where they they brought in a lot of guys who played baseball at you know college or pro levels, and a, a lot of them were you know. Not, not big time actors. I hadn't been acting for a long time, and you still got good performances. They just felt like they were were members of that sport. So that's something that I think every sports movie should keep in mind: is get someone who it, I would say get athletes first. I think it's a lot easier to teach an athlete to act than teach an actor to be a premier athlete, because one of them is very God given. I agree with you. I think also as well. I mean, we're lucky considering that moment in English cinema. That was when there was an explosion in British cinema. And um, I think it was a year later, 1997, Four Weddings and a Funeral came out. And I wouldn't put it past the kind of people that were making films at that time to think that Hugh Grant could have played the character of Sean Bean. I was thinking thinking you were going to say someone like Ewan McGregor. Oh, McGregor could do it. Oh, you think so? Uh, McGregor could do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you train spotting McGregor, yeah, I could see McGregor doing that. And he was he was young and lithe enough for me to believe that he was a professional footballer. That's true. I can never watch. I I don't think I could ever uh, buy Hugh Grant. Uh, Hugh Grant uh, being a being a professional soccer player. No, I know. I'm being facetious there. I'm being facetious. Yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't even have done that. And I would not like to hear Hugh Grant's attempt at a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> not not known for his uh his acting prowess in, in that regard jj thanks so much for coming on the podcast and really giving me like a full-scale lesson in uh in you know english football culture this was this was really fun i really enjoyed having you on kyle you're very welcome we're just this this was just the ramblings of a man who is uh i was obsessed with this movie for the longest time i didn't get to see it because for some reason well, I lived in rural Ireland, so I had to go and re- actually rent the video when I was a kid. And uh, for some reason, whenever I went to get it, it was never there. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, when you when you said it, when you suggested to me that we do a soccer film, I could I could easily have phoned this one in and 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 done goal or goal two or even Green Street Hooligans. But I thought, why not? Why not go back to to good old when Saturday comes. Well, I'm glad you picked it, uh, and this was—I mean, this was a real treat for me to listen to. I, I think I've learned more than any of the other recordings. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can the people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at JJ Devaney, but they can go and follow us uh, on our official Twitter account for the podcast, Caught Offside. So at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, and then uh, Caught Offside ESPN on Instagram. And uh, you can also just go to Spotify, the ESPN app, or iTunes and subscribe and listen to our podcast there, where often I interject when I get bored of talking about Premier League football and MLS. I will also talk about uh, the championship from whence Sheffield United have come. 
Well, I, um, you know, I, I encourage all the listeners to uh, to go check that out. Uh, you know, you put on quite a show tonight, so I, you know, I think it, um, you know, de- definitely gave everyone a reason to go listen to you. As for this podcast, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, share with any friends that you have that that might enjoy sports movies and and authenticity in sports movies just as much as you. And you can catch us next week. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.